Coming up next, focus on medical education, part of this month's featured series on ReachMD XM157. Some physicians get uneasy incorporating spirituality or faith into their medical practices. Our guest today says it's not only okay, but she's making sure medical schools teach courses in it, and she's offering us the opportunity for all of us to explore our own spirituality and help our patients with it. You're listening to Reach MDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Christina Puhalski, who is both the director of the George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health and an associate professor of medicine and health sciences at George Washington University. Welcome, Christina. Hello. It's nice to be here. All right. We're talking about spirituality. Tell us about yourself and about what you do at GW. I am on the faculty at George Washington University. I'm an internist, and I do geriatrics and palliative care as well. I also teach the medical students, and I'm involved in some residency education. My particular interests, obviously, are in spirituality and health, but also in in palliative care and breaking bad news and communicating and caring for for people who are dying. Well, spirituality is kind of a squirmy word for a lot of people. When we talk about spirituality, most people, including doctors' thoughts, immediately go to religion. You're not teaching religion, is that correct? That's correct. And some of our opponents, if you will, are saying, oh, you know, they're teaching religion in med school. No, it's not a religion course per se. There have Historically, there have been in some religious medical schools or religious traditions and healthcare course, but our courses are more include religion, but really more focused on spirituality, more broadly defined, and looking how spirituality impacts patients' lives, and particularly their experience with illness, and and therefore how we as physicians need to attend to the broader spiritual concerns, which might include religion, but could also include nature, art, humanism, humanities, existentialism, philosophy. There's many ways that people come to understand meaning in their lives. So you can be an atheist, you can be a a practicing anything, and it's still the same thing. It's really asking the question, who am I, where am I, and what am I doing here? Right. And I think in the clinical setting, if we hone this down to a clinical setting, just look at a case of, say, I'll modify a case of a patient of mine who, she's an older lady who's worked very successfully all her life. She had to retire at age 65. It was a government job, became very depressed. She went back in. They allowed her to continue working for a while. She comes and sees me. She's now 72. She's very anxious about something, very kind of hard to figure out. She's talking about chest pain, shortness of breath, getting very anxious. And as I ask her about a spiritual history, no, no, she's not particularly spiritual nor religious. Well, you know, what gives your life meaning? You know, it's my work. I love my work. That's what my whole life has been about. And that's why I'm so anxious, because they're going to make me retire for sure now the second time around. And I don't know where I'm going to be. So in the clinical setting, right then and there, we as practicing doctors have spiritual issues addressed right there. And it it can impact our diagnosis. In her case, her anxiety came from the meaning issues. And working around that with her and referring her to colleagues who can help her has helped her. Those are the kinds of clinical situations. Also, illness can trigger questions of why me, why now, what's my purpose? And so it may be that a spiritual question comes up as a result of some news that we've just broken to our patients. So in that room, right there is an opportunity to help patients explore those issues for themselves. Well, you mentioned opponents to what you're doing. Who could possibly oppose care and compassion in medicine? Well, I don't think they oppose care and compassion. Dr. Richard Sloan, who's a experimental psychologist, social psychologist at Columbia, has expressed some concern both about the research in spiritual, more in religion and health, and then by inference that that may be what we're teaching in medical school. And so I don't think we're not teaching what he thinks we are in medical school. But his concerns are that our doctors, are we training doctors to be mini chaplains and kind of usurping the role of chaplains? The answer to that is absolutely not. 
in fact, what we're finding is that there are increased referrals to chaplains as a result of some of the work that we've done. So certainly we're not doing that. We're recognizing that there are professionally trained spiritual care providers and that we need to know how to work with them and refer to them. However, it's often the doctor that may recognize or have an opportunity to recognize a spiritual issue for which then to make that referral. So that's the key issue. The second big area has to do with the research, some of which I agree with him, that some of the earlier research in religion and health may have interpreted the conclusions a little broadly. So, for example, people who live longer tend to go to church. So, therefore, you should go to church because then you can live longer. Well, it may be that people live longer because there's social support or the diet and lifestyle. You know, they don't tend to smoke or drink. Seventh-day Adventists are vegetarians. The question is then, those are very good early studies, but the onus on those of us that do research is to start thinking about studies that can explain some of that phenomenon, not overdraw conclusions. So I, I agree with him. I think some of those studies initially weren't that good. On the other hand, it's a fairly new field in research. And if you look at any area, you know, the beginning studies are exploratory and it's courageous to kind of do that even in the first place. So those are mainly the concerns. Nobody, not even Dr. Sloan, would suggest that we should not be caring and compassionate. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Christina Puhalski of the George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health, and we're talking about how medical schools are incorporating the teaching of spirituality into their curricula. Not religion, spirituality. So the institute you're dealing with, you teach medical students, and I understand you also have an online course for those of us out in the field. Can we talk about both, both things that you do? Start with the online course. Yeah, the online course is something that we developed at George Washington University, and it's an accredited graduate online certificate program in spirituality and health. And the goal of the program is it's for all healthcare professionals. So it's for doctors, nurses, chaplains, social workers. And we've predominantly had doctors and uh, chaplains actually in the course as well as others, but those were our largest groups. And the course is five courses, each three credits. People can do it over a year unless they want to double up on some of the courses. And the goal is to teach physicians how to, number one, integrate spirituality more fully into their practices, into whatever clinical environments they're in, be it hospital-based medicine or outpatient medicine. Two is to develop leaders, people who have the skills and knowledge base to then go back and certification, to go back to their hospital settings or their clinical settings, hospices, wherever they work, and develop programs for their colleagues there on integrating spirituality more fully. So how do you develop spirituality initiatives within hospitals, within hospices, et cetera? And the third goal is really that you develop an online scholarly group of colleagues and people who you can connect with even after the course ends. So what I've found really fascinating in developing it is that initially I was quite skeptical, thinking, "Mm, how can you talk about spirituality online? I mean, you're not really even talking in person, although there's creative ways now that we're doing chat things, but still, you know, it's basically written. And will people really share that intimately? And will this really work? And I have been stunned and inspired by the people that have taken the course. The dialogue, the insight, the sharing, the trust that develops, it really is a community that develops. Chaplains find it very useful because they learn how physicians and nurses and others think and what the medical system is and where, and it teaches something different than their CPE training, clinical pastoral education. Physicians really like it because it gives them practical tools, but it also gives them very concrete academic scholarly information that they can then use to develop courses if they so choose 
or used to at least develop the kind of criteria that they might need to convince hospital administrators that this, in fact, is essential. So our first course is a foundations course where we talk about theory, research, frameworks for doing this. The second course has to do with health beliefs and values, where we talk about spirituality, religion, and culture, and how those beliefs can affect healthcare decision-making and healthcare in general, and how people view their health. Third is spiritual development across the human life cycle. And so there are different stages that we all go through in our spiritual development and what are the challenges at each of those stages and how illness might impact people depending on what stage they're in. And that's quite critical because if you're working with someone who's, let's say, elderly versus a a young person or an adolescent, different issues will arise with regard to healthcare. The fourth is a course on practical tools. And that has to do with what is spiritual care practically, compassionate presence, doing a spiritual history, uh, formulating a treatment plan or a care plan, working with others. We have a whole section in that course on ethical boundaries, where what are appropriate boundaries, what are inappropriate boundaries, how this is done well, how is it not done well, what are professional boundaries, and working in an interdisciplinary team. And then finally, there's a course on curricular development. So it's quite comprehensive, and, and many people have found it to be very useful right now in their professional lives. Can you take the course non-credit just to become a better physician? You could. You mean audit it. There's still a fee to it, but yes, you could You could do that. I mean, I think you can take it for credit. It is definitely something. There are some people that just take one or two courses. I would really strongly recommend going through it because it is built sequentially, and it's. I think it's important to co- cover all those topics. But people do come out feeling that their practices are enhanced, and I can see that. There's a lot of case-based learning as well that's integrated and physicians bringing cases in that they've had and then the dialogue with their colleagues on how to approach those issues is is very, very insightful and uh, educational. Well, if if one were to take this course, how would they contact you and how how much time per week would you say would be spent if you really were going through the course at at a good clip? If you were taking one course each week, you know, we tried, we're very realistic that people are busy. So it depends how much time you want to put into it. But I would say probably five hours a week, maybe two to five hours would be the minimum. Some people spend up to eight or maybe 10. The pattern is that you have some reading to do and an assignment that you post online. The assignments are, are not huge. They're usually, you know, 250 to maybe 500 words max. And then there's online dialogue. So people will respond to each other's assignments. And there'll be a lot of class time is really online. And what's nice about that is people can do that. I, some of my students will be doing something at one o'clock in the morning. You know, other students will do it at other times. But whenever you find it convenient, you can just log online. And you don't all have to be on there at the same time. So that's what makes it very convenient. And where do we find out about these courses? You can look online on our website. It's www.gwish, the George Washington Institute for Spirituality and Health, GWISH, gwish.org, O-R-G. Or you can email me directly at hcscmp at gwump. Awesome. Now, what type of courses do you have for medical students in medical school? In medical school, we have courses that are varied depending on which medical school. We now have over 100 medical schools that have topics. Generally speaking, I would say our most successful programs are integrated. And so there's something having to do with spirituality at each year of the training. So in the first year, for example, when they're learning how to do histories, part of that is the spiritual history. When they have practice-based learning PBL cases, they'll have cases that have the biopsychosocial spiritual model is what's mimicked in those courses. In other words, there's a physical component, emotional, social, and spiritual so they see that as an integrated care of the person. 
In the second year, we have something on breaking bad news and end-of-life care where, again, spirituality is integrated. And, again, we have the PBL cases in, in that year where something's integrated. In our first year, we do a service of remembrance for the people who donate their bodies for the Gross Anatomy Lab. And as an adjunct to that, we have a required course called a Reflections on Anatomy course where students start addressing some of the issues that come up, such as facing their own mortality and often very spiritual kinds of questions come up around that. In the third year, they have clinical formulation. They have cases in each of their different rotations. In the fourth year, we have a palliative care elective that students take, and now we're looking at developing rotation with chaplains. We have chaplains as teachers, as co-mentors, in some of our ethics courses and our doctor-patient communication courses as well. Well, thank you, Christina. Thanks for being our guest today. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMDXM is here for you, the health professionals who care for your patients. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library, including this program. Register on the website and enter promo code RADIO for six months of free podcasts. And we thank you for listening. Tune in each hour for the ReachMD feature series, Focus on Medical Education. We thank you for listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.